And here we are again, friends. It's Tuesday, and as you all know by now, Tuesday is Thoughtvolution Day. I'm your host, Stefan Dubier, and you are listening to the podcast where the thoughts of others meet evolving minds. Friends, who is your confidant? Who do you go to when you need advice, a hug, or a long night of just talking and listening with a glass of wine, a pint of ice cream, or just a box of Kleenex? Perhaps you are fortunate to have more than one person like that. Or you do not really have a confidant or best friend at all and turn to the internet to find like-minded people to talk to. In any case, we all have moments when we seek humanity, the comfort of a trustworthy listener, a word of encouragement to carry us through another day or another night. My guest Emily is 31 years old and lives in the peachiest state of them all, in Georgia. She's happily engaged to be married, a big fan of Dungeons and & Dragons, and perhaps the only person on this planet to despise regular mac and cheese while at the same time loving mac and cheese with tuna fish. Her friends, most of whom are nerdy scientists, describe Emily as earnest, hardworking, and intelligent. One of her biggest accomplishments to date is getting her master's degree after a long and discouraging struggle with self-doubt. Emily is very much trying to take ownership of her life, and things couldn't be sweeter if it wasn't for a devastating blow she received one day. A blow that hits approximately 57 women every single day. Emily was diagnosed with breast cancer. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women in the United States. And although deaths have declined thanks to better treatment options, breast cancer remains the second leading cause of cancer deaths among women overall. We all know that statistics are just that, numbers that are never able to fully capture an individual's journey. Every cancer story is unique and so is the inspiration and encouragement it can be for other cancer patients, their families and friends. Emily's story is one about community. Instead of hiding and suffering in silence through the diagnosis and the brutal treatments, she turned to social media, especially TikTok, to share her story, to find comfort and even friendships. Emily wants to tell us about God's hand in her cancer journey and about the warmth that is the cancer community. No burden is ever too heavy for us to carry, as long as there are enough people willing to take a few ounces of our shoulders. In some cases, those of you willing to lend an ear, to show up and be there for a fellow human being, truly are lifesavers. Especially to somebody dealing with the trauma that comes along with a life-shattering diagnosis. Friends, grab a cup of tea, that is what Emily and I will do as we share her story with you. And let's see what this Georgia Peach is really all about. I am so proud to welcome her to our little community of Thoughtvolutionists. Please give a warm welcome to Emily. Trigger warning. This episode contains conversations about cancer and cancer treatment. If any of these subjects are a trigger to you, please prioritize your mental health and skip this episode. Emily. Thank you so much for being here. It's a gorgeous day here in South Carolina, at least. 
So what are your plans for the weekend over in Georgia? Uh, well, it's actually kind of nice here too. Might have some storms later, which would be kind of hope they hold out until tomorrow because tonight is the relay for life for Gwinnett County. And COVID kind of hit it hard. So it's no longer as big as it once was. So now it's over in Swanee Town Center. So I'm going to try and see if I can go to that. That's pretty much all the plans I have. And then church tomorrow and D&D tomorrow night. That's about it. So for me and all of our listeners out there who may not be as familiar with D&D or Dungeons and Dragons, I know that much. And I know there's a movie out that I have not seen yet. I think my son wants to see it, so we might we might have to bite the bullet there. But can you tell us a little bit more about Dungeons & Dragons, what it means to you, and what exactly it is? Sure. It is a tabletop role-play game, and but it can be played digitally. My group, we, we were scattered all across Georgia, and then one of them is in Texas. And the other one is sometimes in Thailand. So... We will talk to each other through Discord chat and then play the game on a website like Roll20. But basically, what you do is you're, you have a character that you have created that has stats, just like any character in any video game. And the dungeon master or game master, they're interchangeable, is the person telling the story. They set up the world. They say, okay, here's the scenario. What do you do? And then you and your friends from the party follow this story. And you can choose freely what to do, what you want to do, how you want to say it. But say, say you're trying to sneak into a party and everybody's dancing, there's music, and you want to sneak in, but you're not invited. But there's a guard there. And if you get past the guard, you can get in there and dance, right? Well, you dress up real nice. You go, oh, I was invited. I lost my invitation. Well, you have to convince the guard. But it's not you. It's your character who has to convince the guard. So you have to roll a die. And so when you roll the dice, whatever number that lands on is how good or how bad you did. In this case, it would be deception. And say you rolled a nat 20, which is where the die lands on 20. You, there, it's a d20 dice. And it lands on a 20. Congratulations. You did the best that you could do. And then the dice like, okay, all right, fine. I believe you. You can go on in. Or let's say you rolled a nat 1, which is where that dice lands on a 1. You failed. <laughs> you did really bad. You probably, you know, you maybe got stage fright or you hiccuped. Or you said the wrong thing and the person looked at, I don't believe you for a second. Turn around and go away or I'll arrest you. That's how the game goes. So you never really know what's going to happen. And since it's you and your friends, hijinks all the time. That is very interesting. And a good segue into my next question, because you also mentioned earlier that books are something that means a great deal to you. I assume that many books were read by you in waiting rooms and doctor's offices undergoing treatment. Which book would you say will remain forever with you? And which one helped you get through a lot of the darker spots in your life? I read quite a few, and I still am. A lot of them, uh, it could, especially if I'm nervous, I can easily get distracted and bounce from book to book to book. Like if I'm this part starts getting kind of slow, then I'll jump to another one. So I'll be reading like 10 books at any given point. But 
Uh, one of the books that helped me get through a lot of the darkness is it's a book called To Suffer the Crown by Josephine Godby. Uh, actually, a friend of mine, I think it was my friend of mine's, I think it was her grandmother who wrote that book. It means a lot to me because I've had it for a long time. But also, it's one of those, the main character goes through so much crap, so much crap, and still remains a good person. They have their flaws, yes, but they never give up that hope, which is something that, especially right now, and early on in the diagnosis that I really, really needed. And then the other books would probably be the Valdemar series by Mercedes Lackey. There are so many in that series, and she doesn't write chronologically. She'll she'll be writing in the way distant past, and then jump back to the present. And you don't have to read them in order. And you you can she'll have individual trilogies that are self contained, or maybe an individual book that's self contained, and they all kind of build on each other. But you don't have to read all of them to figure out what's going on because it doesn't treat you like you're stupid, but it says, Hey, this is the basic outline every time that you pick up the different book. And I like that because I, I love that world, but I haven't read all of them. And it's hard to find them all from the library at any given point. Cause there's just so many that I can immerse myself into the world and really get lost in it. And it's a lot easier to do that when, you know, you get in, pricked by numerous, you know, IVs or going into an MRI machine, which I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm not claustrophobic, but it's very, very loud and very close. And so it's one of those calming mechanisms before I get in there. So yeah, those are, those are the big ones, the Valdemar series and um, to suffer the crowd. You are not only an avid reader. You also carry a lot of love for music in you. And you even competed in Federation for Piano for 12 or 13 years. What does music mean to you? I played piano since I was in elementary school. I was really, really little. And I used to compete with Federation for 12 to 13 years. And it didn't feel like a competition. Like I would still get the jitters, but it was kind of more once you start playing, you get lost in it because it, it becomes less of, oh gosh, there's someone judging me to, all right, all right, this is music. This is something I'm good at. All right, no, I need to make it move like that. I need to make it sound like that. And especially with piano, a lot of the piano music will tell you, play this part loud, play this part quiet. And I've also heard recordings of the person who wrote that song playing it themselves. Like one of my favorite pianists is uh, David Lons. I love his music. And he, but he, when he writes his music, those loud and soft are instructions are fewer and far between because it's much more of an interpretive type music. And when I play it, I play it the way I feel like it should sound, less so the way it has been written, because it feels like you get moved with the music. And that's, uh, I love that type of music. So things like, uh, have you ever heard of Secret Garden? I think they were from Eurovision at one point. And uh, Ivan Torrent, Thomas Burgesson, Two Steps from Hell, they do a lot of audio machine. It's a lot of symphonic soundscapes. If you've seen a commercial for a movie or a video game, I guarantee you've heard that music because they use their music all the time for those commercials. But they, they don't have anything attached to them. It's just the sound and it can move you to tears just because it is 
you've, you, you can hear a story in the song without there being any any background attached to it. And some of them are puns. Like one of them, I, it sounds like pirate ship at sea. And the name of the song is High Seas, not S-E-A, but capital C, apostrophe S. I love those music type. I love that music because I don't have to sit there and focus on lyrics. I love songs with lyrics, don't get me wrong. Within Temptation was one of my favorites for ages. And yes, I am a Backstreet Boys and NSYNC girl. I, I shamelessly admit that. But sometimes you just need music to calm down, music to get yourself excited or music to just breathe. And like when I'm stressed or worried, especially for going into treatment, I'll listen to like Forbidden Love by uh, Ivan Torrent. And it's just, it's calming. It helps you relax a little bit and it makes you feel less like you're stressed. Your dream job would be either being a geoscientist or an airline pilot. Why did you not end up working in that field? And what is it that you do now? I had always wanted to be a meteorologist. Like that's all I ever wanted to be. But me and Calculus 2 decided that we hated each other. I tried. I tried very many times. And uh, I ended up having a hardship withdrawal from that semester due to outside circumstances. And then I tried it again. And I still failed it. Letters and numbers do not belong together. It does not make sense. But I still loved weather and I wasn't going to give that up. I was like, okay, well, if I can't become a meteorologist, then I'll find a backdoor. And I discovered GIS, Geographic Information Systems, or science. The S's can be both. And I ended up with a professor who was incredibly supportive and helped me figure out how to get the bachelors of geography, bachelors in GIS, while getting all the experience in meteorology up to the classes I would need to take after I took calculus too, which I could not pass. I still can't. And I, when I grew up with my dad being a pilot and then his dad being a pilot and my sister loves aviation as well. It was one of those, it was just kind of everywhere all at once. And I wanted, I thought, okay, you know, it'd be really cool is if I could combine my love of weather and geography with aviation. And I was like, you know, I could become a pilot, but flight school is ridiculously expensive. It costs about as much as tuition. And I, and you, there would still be no guarantee. Like I would have, I could only get a job as a pilot if I passed it. And if no one's hiring, oh, well, but if I have a degree in a field, then I can work in that field while going to flight school, if I could eventually have enough money to do that. So I kept going toward it and trying to work toward that goal. And then when I went for my master's, I was like, you know what? There are so many incidents like in aviation, such as British Airways Flight 9 that flew through a volcanic ash cloud at night and didn't know it, that have almost harmed people and or have. But they involve meteorology and geography. And I love those. What if I could find a way to combine all of them? And that ended up being my master's. So now I can do... I have like a bigger idea of what I can do. And so I started working with uh, several utilities over the course of, I think it's been like 10 years now. And um, now I finally had the chance to go to flight school and I had paid and everything. And then this happened. So I was like, okay, well, next year it's going to happen. It's not going to come leave me. I'm not going to let it go away. <laughs> Love for the sky, for being up in the air, 
floating, feeling free, is something so telling, something you care deeply about. How do you connect with the vastness of the sky in your everyday life? I think I would die if I never saw the sky again. I have trouble being in buildings without a window. If there's no window, I get twitchy. Even if I can't see out, just seeing the natural light is calming. A lot of times I'll be in my room and my mom will come and say, it's so dark. No, it's not. It's perfectly bright. My shutters are open. The sunlight's coming in. She goes, it's so dark. No, it's not. And you know, even my favorite days, believe it or not, are days when it's bright and sunny in the morning and then just thunderstorms in the afternoon. Those good old southern afternoon storms. And it's it's the sheer power. And yeah, there's a little bit of fear involved because yeah, lightning can kill you. That's true. There's a whole bunch of other things that can kill you too. But it's it's a really weird, awe-inspiring beauty. And the fact that it can never be controlled. It can never be mastered. It will always be something that you will never fully understand. And that's what intrigues me. That there's always going to be something else to learn. And even if you decide, you know, I'm today I'm not going to inspect it. I just want to appreciate it. You can. You could step back and just go, wow, that's such a pretty thunderstorm. So, oh, yeah, that's a strong updraft. And all, all this and then that's the wall cloud. You don't have to always do that. Sometimes you just sit back and go, wow, that's a beautiful sunset. And then just be at peace and like have no thoughts in your head where you just sit there and just look at it. And it will never get old because it'll never be the same every single day. It'll always be different. And that's what I love about it. Emily, close your eyes for a moment and take us back to your childhood. What was your life like growing up? And how would you describe your family to somebody who has never met them? My mom and dad were amazing. My dad was an airline pilot, so he would be gone uh, for four, five days in a row and then be, be back for three, four days and then fly again. And mom worked for a, I don't remember what type of company it was, somewhere in downtown Atlanta. And uh, my sister and I went to private school and then we started being homeschooled. Well, for me, it was middle of fifth grade. For her, it was uh, third grade. And dad was, you know, he would tell all of these stories about, you know, when he was flying in the, in the Navy and then when he was flying as in commercial. And then mom would come home and tell us stories about funny things that happened. Like she sold a couch to a Backstreet Boy. I was like, you, you did what? Yeah, well, can you show me that picture of these kids? Yeah, I showed, I sold it to him. I was like, Mom, you oh my gosh, you know. And um, you know, she didn't know. She was like, Hey, he looks kind of familiar. I was like, You saw the couch to that backstreet boy. And I I would learn you know, to they we would just do a whole bunch of crazy things. Like I climbed trees when I probably shouldn't have. I fell out of the tree and lost my first tooth because I landed mouth first on a stump. But I got a second you with a gold dollar from my trouble. And dad will never let me live that down. And I remember one day when, by this point, dad and I were, I was daddy's girl. My sister was a mama girl. And whenever we would have a thunderstorm, we had a big front porch. Dad and I would sit on the swing on the front porch and watch the storm while Amy and mom were inside like sane people. And I remember at one point there was a storm coming but we were still, it was still far enough away that, you know, there wasn't any thunder, but you could see the cloud. And uh, I was biking in the driveway in the cul-de-sac 
And I remember looking up and you, do you remember the movie production companies, you know, Columbia TriStar, it's that big rolling cloud behind the lady with the torch or the, the pegasi. That's what that cloud looked like. It was unreal. I've never seen anything like that before. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to see that from the sky. And dad's like, oh yeah, I bet that'd be really cool from an airplane. And I was like, you know what? I want to do that. And then uh, 9-11 happened. So the airplane, a lot of the uh, airlines struggled after that. We were doing uh, some construction on the house that we had just moved into. And it because of the the financial struggles with that all the major airlines went through, we ended up having a door to a 13 foot drop for about two years. <laughs> so we just had to lock that door and tape it shut so that no one accidentally opened it. And uh, it was it was kind of rough for a few years because of that. But it was also nice in the sense that we all kind of worked together to figure out what we could do, where we could go, and supporting one another, especially since uh, my sister is very artistic and uh, I'm very much scientific. So I, I don't know how mom tolerated our nonsense at the time, but yeah, that's how we grew up. You put in your intake form that one of your biggest regrets was not realizing that your ex-fiance was a jerk earlier than you did. What happened in that relationship? And if you could give that ex-fiance some advice for the future, what would it be? I saw a lot of red flags, but I don't, you know, people who have been in relationships with someone that you really care about, you're wearing, you're looking through the world through rose-colored lenses. So all red flags just look like flags until one thing happens that knocks the glasses off and suddenly all the red flags kind of stand up and you're just like, oh, oh. And you realize you overlooked them, not because you didn't see them, but because you 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 care about this person you love this person you you want to believe that uh, oh you know no one's perfect everyone's going to have their flaws type thing but then the one happens that knocks the glasses off and you realize hmm maybe i should reevaluate i am not a psychiatrist so i'm not going to diagnose anything but it came across as uh, a narcissist and it took me forever to actually notice that at one point we were there was nothing wrong with the relationship at the time, but it was one of the ones that rang the bells and started knocking the glasses off. Somehow he got into his head that I was going to break up with him. Not sure where that came from, but he said, "If you break up with me, you can never go back to this cafe, which happened to be my favorite cafe because I don't want to see you again." And I was like, "What? You don't own it. You don't work there. You literally only go there if I'm there. What makes you think you have the power to tell me where I can and cannot go just because you don't want to see me?" If this happened, you know, if we ended up breaking up, the kicker was when uh, we went to, I know how to rollerblade, but I can't roller skate to save my life. I don't know why the brakes in the front of the skate, like I, that, mm, nope. I face plant every time I try, but one girl fell and broke her leg. And it wasn't, you know, one of those dramatic breaks. It's just one of the things where you look at it and you just go, hmm, that's broken, but you're not going to say it because the girl is right there and she's in shock, but she's handling it okay. And no one was going to call 911 because ambulances cost money, but no one was going to take her to the hospital because no one had an SUV, except moi. I had an SUV. And I was familiar with both hospitals because my dad had been in one. I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, I can take it. He yelled at me for about 
five minutes in the parking lot because how dare I take someone I don't know to the hospital because she could hurt me because she's someone who I don't know. She's a stranger. And I was like, she can't move without screaming. What is the problem? Why do you want me to not do this? He wanted me to stay and skate with him. And I was like, wow, okay. But I really loved this person. And I did not want to, I wanted to be sure that the, the choice that I made was right. So I prayed to say, God, you know, I'm the kind of person who questions everything that I see. When we go to couples counseling, if he leaves, I'll know you want this to end. And he did. The only reason why he didn't walk out of the room is because the counselor stopped him. But I knew that was my answer. I was like, all right, all right. I understand. I heard that loud and clear. It's been uh, almost eight, eight, nine years since. And I wish nothing but good things for him because I know he's had a rough life. And I know that he tries very hard to do what he wants, to get to get what he wants, to do what he wants to do. And I truly want him to find someone who will be the perfect match for him. But I also think he needs to take a look into a mirror and realize that he is not in, in the center of the world. And sometimes everybody can make mistakes, including you. That does not make you messed up. It just means you've got to work on yourself a little bit more. And I truly hope he finds someone who will balance him out and they have a great relationship. That's truly what I want for him. Clearly, you are now happily engaged and to be married. Tell us about the love of your life, the wedding plans, of course, and how this relationship differs from the broken one behind you that you just described. This guy is, we met in church, I think he was about the same. I think it was yeah, about 2013, give or take. It's been it's been ages. And we went to the same church. We both, you know, I kind of noticed him, but it was kind of more of a, oh, you're one of the few people my age here. And but that was kind of it. It was we were, you know, however, we were in the same age group. We never really actually had the time to sit down and talk much. And then we both went our separate ways. He went to school and got a job and I went to school and got a job. And then we ended up coming back because COVID and we started hanging out and we didn't even consider it dating so much as just we get lunch after church and then just hang out, talk. And then we went to a Barnes and Noble. We hung out there for six hours and we did not realize it had been six hours. All we knew was that we had gotten there like, eh, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning, something like that, and got ourselves he got coffee, I got tea, and we just sat there and started talking. And we were like, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. It's probably like one o'clock. No, it was it was, it was four or five, <laughs> which we were kind of both looking at it like, oh, maybe we should look into getting dinner instead of lunch. But he's, he's taller than I am. He's a skinny little stick, but he's all muscle. And he tans, which is not fair because I burn like a lobster. There's nothing I can do. I, I put, we went to, we started, once we realized we were actually dating, which we had to be told that by the way, which was pretty freaking funny. And I'll, I'll never let myself live that down because that was funny. We went to the EAA's uh, air venture last year up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I put on sunscreen three times the whole day, one day, three times. And I still burned. And him over here just turning nice tan. I'm like, that's not fair. But he's he's nice. He's sweet. He loves God. He's 
always ready to help. And he, if he has an opinion about something and it matters to him, he will tell you, he will make it clear. But otherwise he's like, oh yeah, whatever you want. Sure. We can, I don't care. Let's like, do you want, do you want to do this? Sure. Cool. We went to um, a rising fawn, which is a, I hesitate to say supper because it's tiny over near Trenton, which is just Southwest of Chattanooga in Northwest Georgia. And it's right on one of the ridge lines of Lookout Mountain. And we went hang gliding up there and then Cloudland Valley. And I remember we were going to go on one of the trails to look at the waterfalls. And it's a short trail. But as we walked up, the sign said, this is a strenuous trail. I was like, well, what do you mean strenuous? That's a short trail. Is it like steep or something? No, no, bruh. It was steps. It was just stairways the whole way up and down and i looked at him and i looked at the stairs and i looked at him and go so I, I can make it down but coming up we're gonna have to stop quite a bit because i will struggle <laughs> he laughed was like okay cool that's fine we made it down we went to all the waterfalls and coming back up i was dying <laughs> I, my legs are turning into you know jelly and i had to stop so frequently and he would just stand there next to me like oh this is fine and he would never complain once. In fact, one time I walked right past the benches because I thought there was another stop because it went up to a different platform. And I was like, oh, I'm going to sit on that platform because there's a better view. There's no bench up there. And I was like, there's no bench. He goes, yeah, I was wondering why you walked past. And I'm like, but this one's higher. It has a better view. And he just laughed at me. And I like that he's he tolerates my nonsense. And he just kind of looks at me like, wow, you're weird. I love you. And I like that. He doesn't, things that normally would make me self-conscious, he just, he gives me this look like that was the most cute thing that he'd ever seen me do. And he, is he perfect? No, but I don't think I would ever want a perfect person. Like, gosh, that would make me really feel uncomfortable if I was dating a perfect person. But since we both go to the same church, we know a lot of the same people. And apparently everyone in the whole church had been, to use the word, they've been shipping us together. For ages, because they're all like, so when are they gonna? When are they actually gonna admit that they're dating? When are, gonna, when are they gonna admit it? So when they we finally admit it, just like, oh gosh, finally! <laughs> and then come Christmas last year, I proposed to him on Christmas Day because he hadn't done it yet, and I was frustrated because <laughs> I had already knew that he wanted to marry me. And then I asked his parents, because his dad was like, oh yeah, I asked him. He, not, he said, yeah, he definitely wants to marry you. When I asked him why he hadn't asked you, he said he didn't know. It's like, well, could I ask him? He goes, sure. So I did. And he said yes. And he looked, his face just like bright. His eyes got wide and his smile just got huge. And he just looked glowing. He was like, yes. I was like, yay, I got him now. <laughs> and then when we announced it to church, everyone was so happy. It was like one of the things, I don't remember who it was, but someone said, finally. <laughs> It was so funny. You are speaking to me today as somebody who managed to live through probably the most feared diagnosis a woman can face today. How did you find out that you had breast cancer? I Okay, just like most women, I have a period every month. And when that happens, my breasts ache. It's just a thing. It happens. You get used to it. Mine usually starts aching right before and it'll ache for a few days afterwards, and then it goes away. Well, this time, it stayed. It hurt longer than normal, and then it changed from a, the normal 
ache to like a burning pain in my left breast. And I was like, after several days, I was like, okay, this is, this is different. So I did a manual breast exam, which takes like 30 seconds for you know, a single breast. And I felt there was something hard and big at the time it was big where it had, there had never been anything there before that I had noticed. And I was like, that is weird. And that's suspicious. So I went to mom, said, mom, do you feel anything here? She closed her eyes and then felt, she goes, we need, you need to call your OBGYN. So I did. That was January 18th. And then the 20th, I saw my OBGYN. She felt it and she ordered imaging. The earliest that I could get imaging was February 8th. Now, by this point, I had already told my boss at my job that I was quitting and my last day would be January 27th because I was going to go to flight school. So that was already in the works. And uh, so I kind of kept, I didn't tell anybody about what was going on except my family because I didn't, first, I didn't want to jump to conclusions because it could just be fibrocystic or something, you know, harmless. All these things you tell yourself when you kind of, pretty sure that's not what it is, but you don't want to jump to that first. Then February 8th, uh, they did the imaging. It was a mammogram and an ultrasound. And I hate mammograms. They hurt. And this one hurt a lot, a lot more than the normal one. And the poor nurse was apologizing, or I think she's a technician, was apologizing the whole time. And then they did the ultrasound. And the nurse doing the ultrasound was like, wow, I see a lot of masses here. I was like, okay, well, I have some suspicions now. Okay, well, we're going to we're gonna go look at these and then we'll be right back. The doctor came in and said, okay, so we found multiple masses, no numbers, just multiple masses, and we want to do a biopsy. Would you be free next Monday? And I said, actually, no. Next Monday, at the exact same time that you suggested, I have my annual breast MRI, which most women, uh, you have an annual mammogram after a certain age. And then if you have certain factors like a genetic disposition, like I do, then you can also have a breast MRI. So it's like every six months you have a mammogram and then an MRI, a mammogram and an MRI. And it just so happened that my mam- my uh, mam- MRI had been scheduled for next Monday. Now it had been rescheduled like three times because you have to be a certain part of the period because of, I guess, the, your, the tissue in your breast changes depending on what's going on in your period. And they need to see it at a certain time. So I had to reschedule three different times because it just never fell right. And I was like, so that's happening. Do I need to reschedule? And he goes, no, go ahead and do that. Can you come to this other hospital that's in network to get your biopsy? I was like, yes, I can. He goes, okay, well, we can do it tomorrow. So February 9th, I had the biopsy. And they said, well, you should have the results uh, next week. Then that Monday, the February 13th, I had the breast MRI. And then the 14th, Valentine's Day, I went and they said, okay, yeah, you have uh, invasive ductal carcinoma in your rest. I was like, well, I kind of suspected. And I had a little bit of a preview because when I went to the MRI, I glanced at the nurse's notes and it said, you know, the three biopsies that they did, there was a lymph node, which was benign, yay, and then two different masses. And it said malignant. I was like, well, that tells me right there. So I had gone back that to home after the MRI and I told mom. And she immediately started looking for breast surgeons in the area and contacted one. And they said, the earliest we can get you in is like 
next week if that's what the uh, confirmation is. And I, Tuesday morning, Valentine's Day morning, I was stalking the patient portal and I saw the notes from the biopsy that made very clear I do have cancer. And uh, so she made the appointment and said, but if there's any cancellations, please let us know. And 45 minutes after she made that call, the, the surgeon called back and said, hey, we have an opening for this Thursday. And we took that one. So that would be Thursday afternoon. So February 14th, I got the official diagnosis. And then they also scheduled me to meet their surgeon Thursday morning. And uh, they said, this is, this is, you don't have to go with the surgeon. This is just kind of a give you an opportunity to talk to one. And then you can find second, third opinions as you wish. So then Thursday, the 16th, uh, we went, saw their breast surgeon in the morning. And then the one my mom found in the afternoon, we ended up going with the one my mom found because she spent 20 minutes looking at all of the results from all of my tests on her own and then came in and explained the whole thing to me and my parents in a way that was not, it used techno jargon, jargon, but in a way that made sense. She didn't feel like she was trying to you know how some people are so smart they'll, they'll 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 use words that you don't understand because they understand them not to be rude but just she didn't do that she would explain everything to you in a way that made sense without feeling like he was talking down to you and then she said also the mri found a mass on your right breast and i want to do a biopsy i was like okay when would you like to schedule because no you don't understand you're not leaving here until i get it we're doing it right after this i was like oh okay also, there's some suspicious um, lymph nodes that there that I kind of I want to do a biopsy on those two, because all of the radiology says that they should be malignant, but they're not. The biopsy said it wasn't, so I think that's weird. I want to test another one. So she did the biopsy of the right breast and then another lymph node. The lymph node also came back as uh, benign, and the one on the right. The mass on my right breast ended up being fibrocystic. So she's like, okay, cool. We don't have to worry about the one on the right breast. And we don't have to worry about the lymph nodes. I'm going to keep an eye on them. But since they look weird, but they are benign, I'm thinking that they're just contorting and acting weird because of the proximity to the cancer. So let's go from there. Then contacted my oncologist. And I was the first time I had was able to talk to her, I was on the phone with her. And uh, I got, she wanted to do a whole bunch of scans. She wanted to do a PET scan to see if the cancer had spread anywhere. But the insurance denied that. Now, at the time, my insurance was COBRA. So it was an extension from work. So basically, when I quit my job, the insurance cut off. But then I had to pay to get the COBRA extension. So I had to wait for all that paperwork to come in. And then when the paperwork came in, the first claim they got was for a PET scan. So it was essentially a PET scan out of nowhere. And they were like, uh, no. But then all the other claims started coming in. They're like, oh, so we missed a thing. But in the meantime, to make up for the fact I couldn't have a PET scan, I had a bone scan. I had a, what was it? It was a brain MRI and an echocardiogram and then a CT scan. and it was, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot of IVs. It was a lot of uh, contrast. It was kind of a little bit stressful. How quickly did treatment begin? What were your treatment options and 
How did your body respond to the aggressive therapies you had to undergo? It happened very, very fast. And I am I tribute God for that. There was there was a lot of things in there that I'm I you know, I look at it and just go, there's no way that God wasn't involved in that. I found the tumor the first time on January 18th. I got the diagnosis on February 14th. And then I started chemotherapy March the 2nd. And I met my oncologist on February 27th, that last Monday of February. And she said, okay, so your cancer is grade three. It's very aggressive. So we're going to start chemotherapy right now. In fact, I've already scheduled you for this Thursday. I'll say, oh, okay. (laughs) What does that involve? And she goes, well, you don't have a port yet. So we're going to have to have that put in. It's like, okay, so that's going to happen within couple days. Oh, no, that's actually going to happen the week after you get your first chemotherapy. So this is going to have to go in as like an IV. I was like, oh, that's nice. Um, Not intimidating at all. Just really sorry, but we want to get on this real fast. So Thursday I go in and the nurses are very, very nice. And honestly, considering what they do, I don't know how they manage to be so happy all the time. Sometimes I just like, you guys are made of some stronger stuff, but I explained, I don't have a port. It's going to get surgically put in next week. I don't know what's, how are you going to do the chemotherapy? And the nurse said, well, we're going to put it in an IV and it'll be in your arm. It was like, okay. So like in my elbow, like the joint or my hand goes, oh no, it has to be in like your forearm, like between your wrist and your, your elbow. And how's that? Oh, because yeah, we can't risk having anything happen because it's a it's a big needle and the, chem- the chemotherapy will burn your vein. I was like, it'll do what? Because yeah, it's gonna bruise your vein. It'll look like like a like a shadow for a while. I was like, oh, that's nice. And uh, she was not wrong about that. I it, it didn't you know the IV hurt, but it was more pressure because there's they had to slow down the uh, distribution speed. Just because it was was it was it would have been fine for a port, but it wasn't okay for direct into the vein. And I had to hold like an, a warm pack against my arm and press on it just to keep from hurting. And she, I saw that nurse again. Like she goes, "Oh yeah, I remember you. You sat like this this whole time." I was like, "Yep." Then I got the port surgically put in, and it was the day after I had my uh, CT scan, and they were both in the afternoons, and I had to fast for both of them. And I couldn't even drink water. So I ended up very dehydrated. And I came back from the port surgery. I I got sick. And then when I went into chemotherapy that Thursday, because I do it weekly, they gave me a whole big bag of extra fluids. And they said, here's lidocaine. Put this lidocaine um, cream on your port about an hour before you arrive so that it will be nice and numb when we stab it. <laughs> and because it still had the surgical tape from the port surgery to put it in i wasn't able to put the lidocaine on and so they're like i'm really sorry count of three one two three and they put it in it was like a it's just an iv but they put it into your chest right into the port you're just like oh yeah i cried and then but i made sure to do my best to remember to put the lidocaine on every single time after that still missed one time i don't know how i did it i set it out and i somehow walked right past it and uh, but at that point, I just kind of accepted my fate. I was like, "Well, 
I forgot it. All right, it's, it'll hurt going in, it'll hurt coming out, but I, I'll be okay. And it's oh, it feels like you're being stabbed. But once it's in, it's fine. But it's not pleasant going in and coming out. I'm like, yeah, I can see why the lidocaine is important. But the nurses make it tolerable because they're they'll they'll constantly check on you. They're very understanding. They listen when you when you say, look, I'm uncomfortable. It's like, okay, well, let's figure out maybe we can slow the distribution down. Do you need a snack? Is there anything we can get you to drink? You can order food delivery into the infusion room. A lot of people will do that, especially if you're there during a, a meal time and you're not feeling nauseous. And uh, it's nice knowing that there, there are people there who care. But the place where I go, the infusion room still doesn't allow any guests. So it's just the patients, the nurses and doctors who are allowed in there. So I don't get to talk to anybody unless I'm you know, via the internet, you know, like Discord or on the phone if I'm talking to mom and dad. And I, so they, no one else can come back there. So it's just, it's a little bit lonely. And it's always a little bit intimidating, especially knowing that well, the steroids are going to keep me up all night tonight. And then you're going to get some neuropathy tingles. This is not going to be fun. Going through all of this alone would be truly unfathomable. Who was with you during all of that? You mentioned God playing an important role, the cancer community and TikTok. Where and how did you find the support and encouragement you needed? I saw God from the beginning of it because I I would not have done a breast exam to find it had the pain not had the pain not changed. Like if the pain had just in the breast had just lingered, I would have not really thought much of it. But it changed to a very burning pain that made me cry, which is why I did the breast exam to begin with and found it. But it has never hurt that way since. So it was kind of like God going, okay, well, if subtlety isn't going to work, then let me just like smack you until you notice. And then it was him directing mom to find a surgeon and then the OBGYN immediately ordering the imaging. And then the people at the hospital jumping on it, say, seeing things in the imaging, immediately doing, wanting to do a biopsy and then taking everything that they possibly could and doing it very, very quickly. And then the oncologist going, yes, we're going to, we're not going to stage it, but we, I do know the grade. It's very aggressive. So we're going to jump on it right now. And I know you don't have a port, but we're still going to start chemotherapy now because I don't want to take that chance. And that was, it, it was literally a month and February is a short month. So it was a very quick progressive progression of things. So I know that was, especially with the cancellation with the, with the surgeon being able to see her Thursday after the diagnosis instead of a week later. And the way everything kind of fell in place because I could no longer, you cannot legally fly or pilot an aircraft when you have, when you know you have cancer and or are going through cancer treatments. Now, now that I have done it, I completely understand why I would not want to pilot an aircraft right now, but that meant I had to stop the loan going through from to the flight school. And thankfully it hadn't, but I had already paid the deposit. So I got all my textbooks. So now I have nothing to do except read. So I can actually read my textbooks without having to stress about a test or something. I can actually read them and study for this. So then I try it again. I'll have a better step up. So God did that. It didn't. It ended up stopping the um, loan on time, making the diagnosis, all of that go very quickly. 
And then when I met the oncologist on uh, Monday, and then she said, okay, we're going to be starting the chemotherapy on March 2nd, but we need to, I'm going to put in for these medications for you to pick up and from your pharmacy so that you have them for the side effects that will happen from chemotherapy. Now I'm taking chemotherapy weekly instead of once every 21 days. So the dose is lower and the side effects should be more minor. The end result is the same, but that's still a weekly visit that I have to make. And uh, she said, okay, it can cause nausea. It can cause hair loss. It can cause neuropathy, a whole bunch of different things. And these medications that I've ordered to run your pharmacy are to help mitigate those, specifically the nausea. And because I don't handle nausea, like I'm, I, I, I feel nauseous. I do not want to do anything. So that very next day, I went to go pick them up from the pharmacy, and uh, I had already. I was kind of experiencing. I w- I had kind of ex- because I had kind of suspected ahead of time. I was already. I was at a. I'm okay. I'm okay. I got this. I knew it was going to hit eventually, but it hadn't hit yet. So I was like, okay, well, as long as it hasn't hit yet, I'm going to get as much done as I can. So when it does hit, I can just, I can take the time to cry and just experience. And, but I had been talking to mom before I left the house and she had left her phone outside. And when I went in to go get the medication from the pharmacy, there was a lady behind me who, an older lady who, when I went up to the pharmacy, I was the only one in line. So a line formed behind me and she had been very huffy and puffy. And you know that, that the, the passive aggressive, oh my gosh. And then the, the looking around to say like, is no one else going to come to the desk and help us out? Why is this taking so long? But without saying the words, it was all body language. And normally I'm very good at, I'll, you know, I'll see people do that and I just can't help but think in my head, wow, you are such a drama queen and then move on. You know, it, it's water off a duck's back. It doesn't bother me. It's kind of more amusing that you than anything else. But for some reason, it hit me really hard, that reaction. The fact that I felt I was using um, good RX to get some discounts on those medications because it would have been $52. But even then, I could only knock it down for like 40 something bucks, which is still expensive, but not as expensive as it would have been. But it takes a bit because you have to type every you have to type everything in and manually and then search it and then find the specific pharmacy and then the pharmacist has to put all that information in by hand. It takes a while, and I suddenly felt very inadequate, very helpless, very scared, like I had never done this before. And I started stuttering and I started kind of shaking. And by the time I got the medication, I was like, okay, just make it to the car, just make it to the car. You can cry in the car. You can make it to the car. You can cry in the car. I made it to the car. I sat down and I started crying. I was like, okay, I'm going to call mom. But because she had left her phone outside, she didn't answer. Now, at the time, I didn't know this, but mom was using the house phone to call her phone so she could find her phone. And I was calling her phone so I could talk to her. So it was a both at the same time, no one ended up getting each other. I needed to talk to someone and I had a TikTok. And normally I'm a lurker. I just like liking videos and saving them and sending them to my friends. That's what I do. And my following was tiny. I mean, I'll be, I'll be really courteous and say I had 200 followers. And um, I was like, I need to talk to someone. <sighs> well, there are not many people on my TikTok, but I can make a video and just kind of vent for a minute. And then that'll be that. So that's what I did. 
I made a, I think it was a three minute video of just explaining the situation and then say, look, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hold the other lady up. I still, I still don't. I didn't mean to, even though I know now that, you know, patience is a thing, but I was very upset and I was scared. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm scared. I, I just got this diagnosis and I'm, and it ended up the whole, it began hitting me at that point. That was when it decided to hit me emotionally that, oh, this is happening. It's not just a, oh, okay. It's a, oh, oh, okay. And um, when the video was done, I cried and then I just posted it. I didn't add any tags. I didn't add any text or info, anything. I just posted it. That was that. And most of my videos become, you know, they just get buried, which is fine. I never really wanted to be famous. And sure enough, five hours later, there was 36 views, like 16 likes and five comments. That's about it, which is about, that was actually pretty good for me, for my videos, you know? And I was like, you know, that's, but the comments were nice. I was like, thank you. That's kind of all I really needed is just someone to listen. And then I met mom. Mom actually called me and we both met at the Panera. And I just told her the whole story and broke down. We talked for a good while. And then uh, I woke up the next day and just opened TikTok just to watch things. And I had notifications, 99 plus. I was like, what? I've never seen that before. And I opened it up and uh, my video had gone viral overnight. And I had to sit there and process for a second. And I remember, I remember panicking. I actually had to call one of my friends to go, we need to meet because I have questions. I don't know what to do. And she said, okay, well, um, how do you feel about it? I, like, I mean, I never wanted to be famous. That that was never the point. I would not have posted that had I thought it would go anywhere because, you know, that's not, I didn't come on here to be famous. I just made the video because I knew not many people would see it. And I just needed to be heard for just a little bit. She goes, okay, well, you have your platform now. What are you going to do with it? So I prayed. And then I went through as read as many of the comments as I could. There's no way I could read them all. There were too many. And then all of the stitches and the duets. And I, they were, it was a surprisingly supportive community. Like surprisingly, I, I, I had always kind of suspected that it was a, you know, a supportive community, but it's also kind of a depressive thing because it's cancer, you know, but so many people were cancer survivors or caregivers or uh, people who are fighting right now. And they were all being supportive and understanding and giving suggestions on how to handle this. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to turn this down. Um, Sure. I'll explain what I'm doing and what's going on. And y'all who have been there before, please give me some sort of advice or suggestions, anything to help mitigate what's going to happen. And I was blown away by the warmth of the community. The people are, and these are from people from all over the world, all walks of life, people who have, they didn't, maybe they didn't have cancer themselves. Maybe they were just a caregiver or maybe just someone they knew had cancer, a friend or people who did have cancer, people who are in remission, people who are terminal. And they're all warm and friendly and welcoming and understanding. And I would say, hey, I'm going through this. Does anybody have any suggestions? And they would go, 
sure, be aware of this. This can cause this. This can cause this. Or like the infusion room is going to be cold. The chemotherapy is going to be cold. Get warm, fuzzy socks. Get those um, head caps because you're going you're gonna to need it. And then when my hair started falling out, it also started hurting real bad, almost like a, like my head was burning. And uh, I said, well, what do you do? I, what, what, I didn't, no one told me it was supposed to burn. It was just supposed to fall out. And they were like, oh, yeah, shave your head. If you shave your head, it'll go away. And I was like, oh, well, I mean, it's going to fall out anyway, so why not? So I did. And boom, the pain went away. And I was like, well, why did that happen? Why, why did it hurt? Because, well, it, it inflames the hair follicles. And that's what makes it hurt. I was like, well, geez, I, no one tells me about that. Or it's like, oh, yeah, there's also the fingernails thing. I'm like, what? What is this? Oh, yeah, your fingernails can fall off. I didn't know that. No one told me that. No one told me your fingernails can fall off from chemotherapy. Because, oh, yeah, it attacks all the fast-growing cells, which are your hair and fingernails and mouth. And I was like, oh, geez. These are not things that I ever knew. But now I know. And now I know I can mitigate them by like, keeping my hands cold when I go to chemotherapy. Or like the first few times I went, um, I didn't suck on anything cold. So I got you know my mouth burned. And they said, oh, yeah, suck on ice cubes or something cold or popsicles. And I haven't had mouth issues since, since I started doing that. I, I drink tea from a big, my favorite mug is one my fiance gave me. It's a big black mug that has the critical role model uh, logo on one side and the Mighty Nine logo on the other. And I didn't think much of it. And I made a video where I was drinking from it and someone saw it and recognized it. People started asking, hey do you have a PO box? And I was like, eh, no. And I wasn't, I didn't want to get one because I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't really want to be, I was afraid of being, you know, someone who would potentially, I didn't want to take advantage of people. And people started, Hey, can we send you money? I was like, no, I don't need money. I'm, you know, I'm financially stable. By this point, insurance had covered everything because I basically met my deductible and my out-of-pocket just that one month between the OBGYN and the diagnosis, I had met my deductible. That's how expensive all of that was. I had to pay about something like $3,500. You know, $3, that was my deductible. And once I met that, insurance now covers everything as long as I stay in network. But I was like, you know, I'm financially stable. Um, please don't send me money. But they started saying, look, we, we want to send you things. It's like, I mean, I'll take letters, sure. So I opened up a P.O. box at a post office near the hospital. And I was like, okay, well, give me a week. I'll leave it for a week. And I came back a week later. And they said, oh, yeah, uh, we have a 40-pound bin in the back for you. I was like, you have a what? It was, there was about 30 boxes in there. And I, I kind of stood there looking at it like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And so I was expecting letters. You know, maybe a small little package of, you know, like ginger juice, something like that. No, boxes. And they were, none of them were like miscellaneous stuff. They were all things sent by caregivers or survivors or people who are currently fighting and or people who were friends of people who had cancer. It's like, this is what I or such and such used during cancer. Blankets, ginger juice, lemons, thing uh, lemon flavored candies to suck on because they help with nausea blankets for the warmth for when you're in a, uh, the infusion room which is cold while you're getting the cold chemotherapy and coloring books to uh, pass your time or 
puzzle books because chemotherapy can cause um, memory issues. They call it chemo fog or brain fog. You'll forget things. And it's, it's subtle sometimes. And there's like, it's not you. You will think that maybe there's, it's a you thing. It's not. It's a chemotherapy thing. You'll just, I, I looked at my next door neighbor that I've known for years and I could not remember his name. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know your name. I can't, I can't think of your name. It took me 30 seconds for me to grab his name from my mind. And I will forget words like milk or the book. I will forget the word for the book. And I'll have to sit there and go, the, the thing, the, the, that, that, that. Because I just, I forget the words. And these puzzles help you try and mitigate that or you keep your brain as sharp as you can before the chemotherapy goes away. And the people who saw the critical role mug that I didn't think much of, a couple of people sent me boxes of critical role stuff. So now I have, I have like a little Kiri plushie. I have my favorite characters, Essek, and they, I got an Essek pen and one of the little thing that goes on the, the key to keep it secure. So that's now my PO box key. Then one of them sent me a blankie, a critical role blanket. And then I've also gotten you know, for radiation cream to rub on your skin because you're going to get burns from the radiation or hand cream from the chemotherapy as it dries out your skin or anything and everything they were sending me was stuff that I could actually use and have used. And I, I haven't had to buy a on chemotherapy cap for since my lost my hair because they just sent them to me and i have never come across a community who was so open and welcome to welcoming and wanted to help someone they did not even know and i've been involved in a lot of communities before but this was the first one that not only did they send me things un i unasked for but they sent me things that mattered things that i have been able to use things that I would never have thought to buy because I didn't know it was a thing. And they said, oh yeah, this is, here's, here's caps for you to wear. I didn't know they had these. I didn't know these were a thing. I probably would have figured it out after a while, but it was like, oh no, here you go. Or I look at these people and go, you guys are so amazing. And you know the you know the hope for humanity thing. You, the mass media will you know it always it's always doom, gloom, blood, and sadness. And then you look at this community of people who don't know me from Adam, and they looked and said, "I can do that. I can help this person because I've been there, or I've seen someone who's been there, and I know what to help you with." And they have just blown my mind with that. And every time I go on. TikTok and give them an update. It's like this is what's happening. This is I had this this scan. This is what it is, or this is the chemotherapy. Because I didn't know what goes on with chemotherapy. Every time I would see something with cancer in Hollywood, it was we want to get rid of this character, so you give them cancer, and now you know they're going to die. Like that's just that's how it is in Hollywood. No explanation of what chemotherapy is, what you go through. They just suddenly get diagnosed with cancer. The next thing you know, they've lost their hair and then they're dead. That's it. There's a whole lot more to it. And there's a whole lot more hope to it too, especially with the advances in science, which is another thing. People who they'll suggest many different solutions. They, I may not always agree with them, but it always comes from, oh, I want to help place in their heart. And that's what matters. Each and every one of them cares. They cared enough 
to give me a suggestion or to say, hey, try this. And maybe it doesn't work. Maybe that solution just doesn't work for me. Like I had with the shots that I got to boost my white blood cell count, it causes bone pain, which can be excruciating from some people. I have a high pain tolerance and like, but still a couple of days ago, it was knocking me off my feet. And some of them were suggesting things that I'm not sure I can have like CBD or THC, because I'm not sure if it's, I, and I need to check the legality in the state, but also um, I need to talk to my oncologist before I start you know, taking stuff. But I'm ta- going to talk to my oncologist about it, see if that works. But you know, I, I couldn't try it immediately because I don't, I can't just get my hands on it, you know, but some people were like, try Epsom salts baths and it worked. And now it didn't work perfectly. I, but someone suggested a heating pad and that is what kicked it. So I never would have thought of that. I never would have thought of Epsom salt baths. I mean, I kind of heard of them, but I've never really had one before. So I went and, and some people had sent me stuff. So I was like, sure, I'll try it. Worst thing that happens is nothing happens. And that helped. And it's not that the doctors and nurses don't tell you things. It's that they, if you don't know to ask, they don't know to help. Does that make sense? It's, it's, they are so helpful, but only if they know that you need help, they'll suggest things. And then the people on TikTok will go, oh yeah, no, they won't, they, they didn't think to tell you that. Well, here you go. Try this. And I have, I think, I swear that the reason why I have had such good luck with that sounds really twisted with all good luck with the minor side effects and whatnot is because God gave me this community of people who are willing to step up and help me with things I never would have thought to look for because I didn't even know that it existed. And I'm eternally grateful for that. Where are you now in your breast cancer journey? And how do you hope for your own story to continue? Like I said, I found the tumor on January 18th, and it was it was pretty big. Uh, I don't remember the exact. I think the total volume, if I remember from reading the uh, one of the biopsy, you know, biopsy radiology reports, was like 10 centimeters, as in like the total volume of it. It has, I, I could feel it just by putting just two fingers gently on my, the left side of my left breast. I could just, you could just feel it. It's like rock hard. Now I have a hard time finding it. And even the oncologist and the PA have a hard time finding it. And they are thrilled because that means that the chemotherapy is working. It's working very well. Now I currently have a tax, I can't remember the whole name, but it's taxol and carboplatin regimen. I have two more weeks of that. So two more sessions of that, and then I'll have 12 weeks of the colloquial term is the red devil. I can't remember the the chemical name, but that's considered one of the strongest, if not the strongest chemotherapy cocktail. It's called that because uh, it can turn your pee pink. And if you're not ready for it, it, it looks like you have blood in your in your urine, but it's not. It's just the chemotherapy chemical doing that but it makes you very nauseous. That's what that one is and infamous for. Not looking forward to that one. Uh, but then when that one's done, I'll have some time to recover and then have a double mastectomy. So remove both breasts. They'll put in expanders to keep the skin stretched and then radiation. I think uh, it's tentative skill, uh, still. They're going to play it by ear, but I think it's about 
five weeks of radiation. That would be like an hour or so a day, every business day. And then uh, reconstruction, which would be uh, the breast surgeon that I've been in contact with would be the one to do the double mastectomy. It would be a plastic surgeon that I haven't found yet who would do the reconstruction. And there's so many different ways of doing it that I haven't even since that so far ahead. I haven't really thought about how I'm going to go about that. But that is currently where I am standing. So I not going to lie, really having anxiety about the uh, red devil, but I have all the medications to deal with it. I just, I don't want to, but I have had the, my white blood cell count continues to drop. Uh, That's just a side effect of chemotherapy. There's really nothing you can do about that, except they give you uh, white blood cell count booster shots. I think I'm taking Zarzio. There's also a new Lasta, but I've been taking Zarzio and you have to have the shot 24 hours before or 24 hours after chemotherapy. I've been getting two a week, two last week. And then I went for until for the future as is, I'll be getting two of those shots a week. So that's going to be some fun bone pain for a while. But considering the alternative of having uh, no white blood cells, which would be horrible or too low, which means I would have to delay chemotherapy I and mean, i've already had to have that happen once and since the, the oncologist does not want to keep doing that since the chemotherapy has been working like you could palpate you can actually feel the tumor going away there's there, there's that tactile proof that it's working she does not want to do that again so thus two shots um so that's currently where i'm standing so yes it's nervous and nerve-wracking but I have proof that it's working, which, you know, is comforting in its own way. Of course, we wish you all the best, Emily, and hope that it goes in a direction where very soon maybe we can do a follow-up of you being cancer-free. Now, we spoke about your love for books earlier. If you ever decided to turn your own life into a book, what would you name it and what would the cover art be like? I've... All the videos that I made on TikTok regarding the cancer, I put in a playlist called Unexpected Journey. And it's kind of a play on, I love Lord of the Rings. And when all of the dwarves just showed up in party crash, Bilbo Baggins' uh, home, it was like an unexpected party. And I was like, well, it's not a party, but it's certainly a journey. So an unexpected journey. And I think I would probably name the book Unexpected Journey. And the cover would probably be chemo cap one of the colorful ones like i'm wearing now and then uh laying on top of a book with a, a mug of like my, my my critical role mug full of tea and uh then uh, a bible probably over in the uh just in view and that, yeah that would probably be it that honestly would probably because that's just all the different things that you know, every single one has its own meaning of where it came from and what part of the journey that it's played played a role in so far. Now, Emily, if our listeners would like to learn more about you and perhaps become a part of your TikTok community, how can they find you? Well, my TikTok username is Light of Shadows. And uh, I mean, if you have a TikTok, you basically just follow me and you don't have to follow me, but you'll start if you've looked for me, you might start seeing some of my videos appearing on your For You page as part of the algorithm. 
But if you follow me, then you will get my videos, either um, those that are tailored to you or just appearing in your For You page because you follow me. And that's where I post all of the you know, things that I have going through or if I have a funny story to tell you, like, you know, when I, I decided not to take a shower because I didn't want to deal with wet hair because I forgot that I didn't have hair, that sort of thing, which has happened. Uh, that's mostly, I, I think, yeah, TikTok is still free. You, you can still get it in the U.S. because they haven't decided to block it yet. But yeah, that's where I am currently. Emily, thank you so, so much for this hour, for our conversation, and for making so many women out there feel less alone in their own health journey. Before we close, I would like to know what you most appreciate about yourself. I am a very stubborn person, and that has helped me. Now, it's also caused problems, but it has definitely helped me because I will see the situation that I am in and then my reaction is, okay, well, let's pray about it. And then let's take it step by step. And I refuse to let myself get bogged down by depression or there's no hope for humanity. The world is a horrible place. And I'll just be, that stubbornness will come out and I'll dig my heels in and go, no, no, it's not because we have, we have Lord of the Rings. Could be can't be a horrible world if there's Lord of the Rings, or no, it can't be a horrible world because it's sunny outside. There's a bird singing. I'll fight you, and that helps me. It's it's helped me in just about any respect, especially during this cancer journey. And uh, so I guess the stubbornness and the refusal to accept that yeah, it's a bad situation, but there's there's hope, and I refuse to believe there is no hope. So I guess that would be what I appreciate the most and the fact that God's helped me see that because I, I think had this happened even five years before I would not be handling it as well as I have. So I know that God has helped me tailor my stubbornness. So instead of refusing to just, I guess I can see that there is hope and refusing to believe that there is no hope. So I guess that would be what I would say. I appreciate the most. Friends and thought evolutionists, I hope some of that stubbornness, that passion, that everlasting fire Emily shared with us today will rub off on all of us. The world really isn't all gloom and doom, and if we squint our eyes and see that little ray of sunshine blocking out everything else around it, we may come to realize how much there really is to appreciate. Make sure you follow Emily's unexpected journey on TikTok. Her profile name is Light of Shadows. Again, that is Light of Shadows. And, well, friends, there are only a few more episodes left in this first season of Thoughtvolution. However, I want to hear your story. And I'm currently looking for courageous people just like Emily who are willing to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly life often entails for season two. We still have a few more stories before we take a little break and season two will air either later this year or early 2024. More details will follow soon, so make sure you subscribe to the newsletter on our website. If you feel inspired and would like to take that very first step, please go to thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. You will find our intake form, 
Fill it out and I will get back with you as soon as I can. Your story matters and it deserves an audience. It deserves to be heard. You deserve to be heard. If you would like to support this podcast, this passion project of mine that I love so very, very, very much, you can do so in a number of ways. Please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. You can find us on all major podcast apps such as Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, etc. You can also subscribe to our social media. There is YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and of course, TikTok. Just type in Thoughtvolution. I even post the occasional little German lesson on TikTok. <laughs> It's interesting and fun and a cool way for us to stay connected in our little Thoughtvolution community. Lastly, you can of course go to thoughtvolutionpodcast.com and visit our merch store and pick out a really awesome sweater or t-shirt or hat. It allows you to wear a piece of Thoughtvolution in your everyday life and it may even provoke or spark some conversations and that is what it's all about, really. We need to listen more to each other. We need community. I love Emily's story so much because it shows how valid, important, and powerful the longing for belonging truly is. When we find our tribe of people, even the most difficult life situations become more bearable. When community grows, loneliness disappears and genuine inspiration takes place. So today, my request for you is as follows. Find your tribe. Look in unlikely places. Seek out unlikely friendships and foster true connections with people who may become friends, teachers, mentors, soulmates, especially if you think that there cannot possibly be somebody out there for you to build your own community with. According to the Worldometer, as of the day of this recording, there are 8,038,432,848 people on this planet. Your tribe is out there. I'm 100% certain of it. So, as always, see you next week, and please be kind to each other. All 8 billion and some change of you. <laughs> I love you, Lotsies.